0: Chapter 13 of War and Peace is another that is not heavy on fantastic action, but rather significant character development. First, we actually get some helpful backstory about Pierre. And you really can't tell initially, but he will be one of the novel's main characters, and also one of the great characters in literature. We learn that during the brief time Pierre spent in St. Petersburg, after returning from 10 years of studying in Europe, Pierre never got around to choosing a proper career. Besides general indecision, what might have interrupted him was being banished for, along with the gambler Dolokhov, tying a relatively small live bear to a police officer who was trying to interrupt Pierre and his friend's good time. So he traveled to Moscow and was staying with his father. The bear episode apparently became something of a scandal and was the talk of all the major towns. The story put Pierre's father's nieces, who also lived with Count Bezikov, in something of a negative disposition towards Pierre. It was something the nieces or princesses likely believed they could use against Pierre's benefit in terms of inheritance purposes. There's a lot of angling for that inheritance in these early chapters, and it can get tedious. Pierre's initial reunion with his relatives is recounted. He comes across the princesses while they are doing some type of embroidery work. The young woman who complained about Anna in the previous chapter warrants a description and is characterized as neat and prim. What's telling is that as soon as we got an initial description of Pierre, we learned that he's a big fellow with a warm heart, quite clumsy and absent-minded, but generally good. We do not get this description with any of the princesses or the Carragans. When Pierre sees the young women, he asks how they are and if they remember him. And then he asks about the health of his father and when he can visit. It's noted, however, that Pierre was received like he was a corpse or some victim of a plague. One of the princesses tells him that the Count is physically and morally suffering and that Pierre's presence could only increase that. He's basically being given the brush off. When Pierre repeats himself, the response is, Of course you can see him if you want to be the death of him. The irony is that the ones who care for Count Bezukhov the most are being kept from him, while those most hungry and feverish for a share of his estate are guarding his ability to be seen. We then learn the name of one of Pierre's cousins. It is Olga, and she says she's going to get some beef tea for the old man. Meat apparently was a remedy for sickness in those days, and something likely invented by the English. Basically, you would put some type of beef in boiling water, A few hours, and the beef would flavor the water and become tea, and you would throw the beef away. It led to a lot of waste and went out of fashion. But it was a popular remedy for the ill and infirm, at least ones who could afford beef. Since the old Count's diet is being attended to, Pierre sees it might not be the best time, so he gracefully leaves. He says he'll be in his quarters and to fetch him when he'll be able to visit the Count. The following day, we learn that Prince Vassili pays Pierre a very quick visit, only to note that he wants to lecture the young man, through telling him that if he continues to behave the way he did in St. Petersburg, Pierre will come to a very bad end. Then Pierre was left alone by the rest of the family, and he was in somewhat isolation. After some time, this could be days or weeks, he was happy to see a visitor at the door, It was young Boris, and this event connects with Boris's trip to Count Bezikov's house in the preceding chapter. Boris is quiet as he sees Pierre acting out something of a fantasy. He's pretending he's Napoleon, defeating the English. He's announcing, England is done for. Mr. Pitt is a traitor to the nation. And then he's pretending to announce sentence over Mr. Pitt, and he's referring to William Pitt who was a long-time prime minister of England, renowned for an excellence in administration. Pitt actually became prime minister at the age of 24 and served from 1783 to 1801 and then again from 1804 to 1806. He is also respected for his efforts to rehabilitate England's economy after the American Revolution. But Pitt definitely did not have the flair and popular appeal that Napoleon did. Nevertheless, there's a statue of the man at Cambridge, and Mr. Pitt generally governed during King George III's reign. But Pierre is in a world of his own, pretending to be Napoleon, crossing the English Channel to the port city of Dover and capturing the Prime Minister. Just before pronouncing fictional sentence, he saw Boris, a well-built, handsome young man. He hadn't seen Boris in many years and gave him a friendly smile, kind of recognizing he knew him from somewhere. Boris asked if Pierre recognized him and gave him a hint that he came with his mother to see the Count. Boris then conveyed the Rostovs' invitation to dinner, which led Pierre to believe that Boris was one of the Rostov children, and he mixed up the name of father and son. Pierre was quite confused, and Boris finally lets him in on who he was. Pierre is very happy to see the lad and just wants to move on. He explains he has so many relations and relatives it's hard to keep straight. He doesn't do so with an arrogance, it's more with a good-natured demeanor which can even be self-effacing at times. He then wants to talk some politics with Boris and asks him what he thinks of the historical Ballon expedition. This refers to when the Royal Navy, led by Horatio Nelson, failed in an effort to destroy a French flotilla of ships. It was quite an embarrassment from the later hero Nelson. He was asking Boris how he thought the English would hold up. Once Napoleon crossed the channel, Pierre was thinking Boris had the same interest in the subject. However, Boris quickly admitted that he knew little of these worldwide current events, and his focus was on the affairs of the society around him, which was often filled with gossip. Boris then reveals that he's aware that some of the gossip involves Pierre as a potential heir to his father's estate. Pierre then gets worried for Boris, that Boris could say something that he would later regret. There's a lot of care for the other in Pierre's descriptions. Boris notes that all Moscow is wondering where the great fortune is going to go. Just a quick note on the dynamic between the two. You have Pierre, who went off to Europe, sent by his father, not knowing what he wants to do with his life. It's something of like the return of the prodigal son, whereas Boris was the dutiful son who stayed behind content with what was placed in front of him. And even though it wasn't always an overabundance of riches, he was able, through connections, to secure a place in the imperial guard, while Pierre, it was noted at the beginning of the chapter, still hasn't decided what he wants to do with himself. Boris then reveals in some of his attempt to deliver some straight talk, Please don't think of my mother or I as any such person angling for your father's estate. He concedes that they're poor, but Boris does not regard himself as a true relation to his godfather and says he wants nothing from him. Pierre seems to be described as perplexed at all of this, and it appears to dawn on him that his father really may be near death and that a great number of people are actually supposing Pierre, who's illegitimate, could take a considerable share of the estate given the father's historical affinity for Pierre. Boris apologizes for being blunt, but acknowledges that's his nature, and he expresses hope that Pierre's not offended. He then asks what message that he should take back to the Rostovs regarding the dinner invitation. Pierre is genuinely impressed by Boris and calls him first rate. He admires Boris's courage and fortrightness in stating matters so plainly. He sincerely hopes that they will see a lot more of each other. Pierre then reveals some sentiment. He says that in all the time he's been spending at his father's estate, he hasn't got a chance to see him and to his knowledge, his father hasn't asked for him. This may be an emotional topic that Boris is not ready for, so he changes the subject back to politics, giving Pierre a chance to talk about his love of Napoleon. He asks, So you think Napoleon will cross the channel? And Pierre took the opening. Before Boris left, Pierre accepted the invitation to the Rostovs. When a footman retrieves Boris, Boris learns from his mother that the Count is in a dreadful state and likely doesn't have long to live the old man scarcely recognizes anyone. This gives us some insight into the fact that the old man likely hasn't been able to ask for Pierre, even though he would probably like to see his favorite son. When Boris asks his mother, what are the Count's feelings towards Pierre, Anna responds that that will be decided in the will. And before she left the Count's home, Anna made clear to Prince Vasily that she would be back to comfort the Count at night and do her best to prepare him for the soul's journey.